0: Good morning, church family. I know we have uh, many of our regular uh, attendees who are gone. This week is spring break for uh, the schools around Batesville, so I'm sure there are many who are traveling or who have traveled and are wherever they have gone to. We pray that they will have a nice time and a safe uh, journey back to us. But for all of you who are here, we're thankful for your presence, and we've enjoyed um, the opportunity to worship with you and sing praises to God with you. To offer up, as uh, Ryan so eloquently mentioned before, we uh, gave of our means to offer up something back to God after having taken uh, the Lord's Supper and what it represents, that which he gave to us. Now we come to the time when we open our Bibles and we consider something from God's Word. What I want us to consider is just three words. You can see them on the screen behind me. Abraham offered Isaac. And I want us to consider that statement, I want us to treat it as an axiom, to treat it as an understood fact from which we can derive other things and learn other additional facts. But that statement should stand on its own and it should be profound in what it says. And it says exactly what it says without any equivocation, without any uh, modifiers, without any kind of you know, asterisk and a little footnote at the bottom. It just says what it says, and I'll say it again, Abraham offered Isaac. Now what does that mean? Let's zero in for just a moment on that word in the middle of that sentence, offered. Abraham offered Isaac. Not Abraham was gonna offer Isaac, not Abraham was about to offer Isaac, not Abraham would have offered Isaac if dot dot dot. But no. Abraham offered Isaac. Now what does the word offered mean there? It means as far as Abraham was concerned, he was finished. He had done everything except for just the the little details at the end of it. He had done everything he needed to do except for just tying up the loose ends. As far as he was concerned within himself, he had done what he was told to do. He offered Isaac. It doesn't say he was offering Isaac. It doesn't say he was about to offer Isaac. It says he offered Isaac, which means he was done. Now you might raise issue with that. If you know the account, go ahead and open your Bibles there. If you haven't already, Genesis chapter 22, we're going to read here in just a minute the first 14 verses of that chapter. But you might hear me say that, and I'll say it again. Abraham offered Isaac, and you might think, oh, no, he didn't. He offered a ram. He was going to offer Isaac, and then the Lord intervened. It's a matter of perspective. I'm going to show you my perspective, not just from Genesis chapter 22, which doesn't paint the complete picture. If you only read, if you want to go to your Bible and say, I want to learn about the time when Abraham uh, was told to offer Isaac on the altar. So I'll go to Genesis 22. Yeah, you'll get 95% of it. But you will miss a very critical final 5%. You will miss a very critical piece of the puzzle because what Genesis 22 gives you is a very um, high-angle view, a very overview of the event, a very historical event from the historian Moses writing of it. What you don't get is the thought process of Abraham. What you don't get is the inner thoughts that he had as he considered what God told him to do and what it meant that he told him to do. You'll get that at the end of the sermon in Hebrews chapter 11. Two little verses that say a lot about Abraham's mindset. But just to start with, just to paint the majority of the picture, open your Bibles with me, Genesis 22, and let's read verses 1 through 14. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham, my Bible says. And said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now your son, take your only son, take your son Isaac, whom you love, and get thee to the Mount of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his mule and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering. "...and rose up and went to the place which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, his servants, "...Abide ye here with the mule. I and the lad will go up yonder to worship, and then come again to you." And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, "...My father." And he said, "...Here am I, son." And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God himself will provide a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built the altar there, and laid the wood in order, and then bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand, and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called out unto him from heaven, and said, Abraham, Abraham, And he said, Here am I. And the angel said, Lay not your hand upon the lad, neither do anything unto him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram was caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day in the mountain of the Lord. It shall be seen. One of the more famous texts from our Bible. But as I say, if you only have the historian Moses version of events, if you only get Genesis 22, you don't get the complete picture. In fact, you might, because of that, because you don't consider the two verses we're going to look at later from Hebrews 11, if you don't consider them and you just take the Genesis 22 account as the whole of it, then you might start to draw some wrong conclusions. You might start to think, Abraham thought, well, God's going to stop this from happening. This is, this is just, uh, well, as we'll see in a minute, this is just a test, but he doesn't understand what that means. But you might misuse that word and think, well, this is just a test. I, I won't, you know, he's, I'm going to raise up my hand, but he's going to stop me at any time. And that's why I told the servants, God will provide the sacrifice, because sure enough, there's a ram, and that's what I'm going to end up offering you might start to think that Abraham was working this all out of how he wasn't going to offer his son, but when you read the Hebrews 11 account that we're going to look at in a minute, you see that doesn't paint the same story. That doesn't paint the same picture that we're supposed to take from this text. Let's take this Genesis 22 text to start with and consider it in just two different ways. There is a command at the center of this that must be obeyed, and there is an offering, which is the way that this command must be obeyed. First of all, let's notice the command. Let's notice the command was an offering. In other words, here is what God is commanding. He is commanding you to give an offering. That is not unusual. Throughout the whole history of humanity, God has commanded offerings be given to him. We talk about the, uh, the, the offerings of the Old Testament, and usually our minds go back just to Exodus, and they stop. And we start in our minds with this nation of Israel and the, the minutiae of the law of Moses and all the regulations and particulars about how to offer, when to offer, what to offer, where to offer. And all of that starts there in our mind, but it ought not start there. Go back as early as almost the beginning. Cain and Abel are offering sacrifices, and one is accepted and one is not. From the beginning, God has wanted sacrifices. At least from the beginning, post Eden, God has wanted sacrifices. He's wanted certain kinds of sacrifices. He's approved and disapproved of various sacrifices. And throughout the time of the patriarchs, that was so, where God expected sacrifices. Now, here is a command given that is not unusual Abraham, go up to a mountain and offer a sacrifice. Here is a command that is not unheard of. Abraham, take your sacrifice and offer it as a burnt offering. Let's just pause there for a second. What is a burnt offering? For that, we go to Leviticus. The opening, the very beginning of the book of Leviticus, verses 1 through 9 of chapter 1, lays out the particulars of what a burnt offering is supposed to look like. Now again, this is for the nation of Israel. But these sort of sacrifices had been done for centuries before. And now, they're being codified into stone, chiseled into law, so that the people could know, here's exactly what it looks like, so that you can have no question about it. This is exactly what a burnt offering is supposed to look like. You take your lamb, but it's not just any lamb. Or your offering, but it's not just any offering. It must be the very best of your flock. It must be the firstborn male without blemish. And once you have that very best you have to offer, your prized possession, then you slice open its throat. And you let its blood drain out. And you take its blood and you sprinkle it on the four corners of the altar. And then you chop its, bu- its parts up. If you've ever watched a, a butcher work over a cow or a pig, same idea. Except it would be a lamb, typically, or some other animal. You take and you chop its various parts up. And you lay them in an arranged pattern on the burning altar. And you burn it. And you burn it. And you burn it up. That is a burnt offering. That idea of a burnt offering did not begin in Leviticus chapter 1. It did not start at the foot of Sinai. It began with patriarchs offering sacrifices of varying sorts to the Lord. When God told Abraham, offer a burnt offering, it was not a remarkable thing. He didn't have to ask, what's a burnt offering? He knew the remarkable thing here, the shocking thing here, is that God said, take not a lamb, Your best lamb maybe your only lamb. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love. Really lay it on thick there. And you take him up to Mount Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering. What God is asking, this command that God is asking as an offering, is you take your son and you lay him on the altar. And you slice open his throat and let his blood drain out. And you sprinkle Isaac's blood on the four corners of the altar. And you chop up your son, your only son, whom you love. And you lay him on the fire in an arranged pattern. And you burn it to a crisp. And you let the smoke go up to the nostrils of Jehovah. That's what God is asking Abraham. Have you ever appreciated it on that level? That's chilling. That's the command. And Abraham rose and went. The command was a test. Now, my Bible says tempt, but it ought not. Probably your modern translations say test as it should. This was done at the very beginning of the chapter. Before he even tells him what to do, it says it came to pass that God did, let's translate it, test Abraham. James 1 makes it clear, God cannot be tempted with evil, neither does he tempt us with any sin. But God does put us to the test. In fact, every single command God has ever given you is a test. That's the idea. It doesn't matter if it's an easy one. Hey, that's just an easy test. You're going to pass it. You're going to ace it. But sometimes the commands are not easy, and that's why we call it a test. It's not a temptation, but we in our arrogance, we in our pride, we in our desire to serve self and not serve God will see it as a temptation. God will tell me to do something that's no big deal. I'll do it, no problem. Not even realizing that I'm passing a test that was an easy one. But sometimes God will ask me to do something. God will command me to do something that might give me pause. And I might stop and think, wait, do I really want to do this? And now I'm being tested. Do I really want to serve God? Or do I want to serve my own selfish gratification? And when I say selfish, I don't mean a box of chocolates. I don't mean a a goody treat. I'm talking about, in this case, my son, my only son, whom I love. It's not a temptation, though, because God doesn't tempt. Who tempts? the devil tempts. God commands. That's his prerogative. And after God gives the command to you, you receive the command. That's your prerogative. And then the devil comes along behind him, and he says, you don't really want to do that, do you? Surely you don't really want to do that, do you? I mean, in this case, he's got an easy sell. That's your son, Abraham. You don't really want to offer your son, do you? We're not talking about something as mundane Something that's easy, that it would take a lot of pride and a lot of selfishness for us not to obey. We're talking about your son, your only son, whom you obviously love. And the devil comes along and says, you don't really want to do that, do you? God commands. The devil tempts you to break the command. Who are you going to listen to? The devil will lie to you, and the devil will try to make the choice be between God and your son. The choice is not between God and your son. The choice is between God and the devil. He doesn't want you to see it that way. So he'll put his son, your son in the way. You don't really want to do that, do you? Thus the test. Do I really want to obey God? Or do I want to listen to the devil? That's the test. Does Abraham pass the test? Later in this chapter, chapter 22, verse 12. The angel speaking on behalf of God, speaking as the mouthpiece of God, says, Now I know, because you haven't withheld your son, your only son, whom you love. Now I know, that means you passed the test. Why was this test given? That's God's prerogative. We'll get a little bit more of the particulars when we get to Hebrews 11. But I just want you to see that it was not a test in the sense of this is a hard, difficult thing. Every command of God is a test. And every time you're given that test, you have the option A or the option B. The option A is obey God. The option B is don't obey God. And it doesn't matter what the test is. It doesn't matter what the command is. God has the right to give you the command. That's his prerogative. You receive the command. That's your prerogative. The devil tempts you to break the command. In this case, the command, let's be honest with ourselves, is not as easily obeyed as other commands, at least for most people on the planet. This would not be an easily obeyed command. And yet, Abraham rose and went. And I don't think I could have done that so casually. So maybe that's not the right word. So easily, for lack of a better. I might have hesitated. And the devil would have slithered his way in and tried to drive a wedge between me and God. And I would have failed the test. Just me being honest. But the command was a test. Now let's talk about the offering. The offering was an offering. Nobody's twisting Abraham's arm here. Nobody is taking away Abraham's free will here. If Abraham is going to do this, it's going to be because Abraham is going to do it. God is giving a command, but hey, listen, God gives you all kinds of commands. You don't have to do them. I know I sound like the devil right now, but I mean, you have your free will. You could choose to disobey God and you will suffer the consequences thereof, but no one's twisting your arm here. You must, as God's children, assemble on the first day of the week. Here you are. I know there are people who are out of town. Lord willing, they are somewhere worshiping the Lord right now. But I know there are some people who just aren't, who are just sleeping in or enjoying brunch right now, and they are breaking God's command. No one's making them be here. No one's making them be anywhere. They are where they choose to be. You can choose not to obey. When you are given a command, you choose to obey it. Abraham has been given a command. He must choose to obey it. God has asked him, commanded him for an offering. Ryan perfectly segues into this with his comments before he took the Lord's Supper. You have your job. That's your job. You work hard for your money. So hard for your money. You work hard for your money. So you better give some back to the Lord. That's not how the song goes, is it? You better give some back to the Lord. Everything you have is yours. It's yours because it's yours and you have it. Forget where it came from, it's yours. That's money in your bank account. That's clothes on your back. That's a house with your name and the banks on the mortgage papers. It's yours, right? God says, now I want some. What gives him the right? Where did it come from is what gives him the right. Where did Isaac come from? Abraham and Sarah were old, and they were not having any babies. Sarah was barren. And yet they wanted children, and they wanted children. And in spite of their inability to have children, God said, I am going to choose you to have children, to have a son, who will have a son through whose descendants will come a mighty nation, through which will come the Savior of humanity. That's what I'm choosing you for, Abraham. And Abraham says, I don't have any kids. My wife is old and barren. She's going to have a child. She thought it was hilarious until she got pregnant. Go to one chapter earlier, Genesis 21. Genesis 21, look at verses 1 through 3. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken, because Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the time that God had spoken to him, and Abraham called the name of his son that was born to him, which Sarah gave to him, called him Isaac. Where did that boy come from? Sarah, sure, but ultimately, where did that boy come from? God. God said and God did. God said and God did. It says it twice there in that text. God did what he said he would do. That child of yours came to you by God. Sarah was old and barren. We have babies popping up all the time here at North Heights. We're always holding up babies like it's the Lion King on matinee. All the time, always, there's babies all over the place. None of you are barren. You're all having babies. They're your babies. God gave you your babies. Your children are yours because God gave them to you. That job that you have, that you work hard for, that gives you your paycheck, God gave you that job. Well, he wasn't the guy in the suit shaking your hand, signing you on the, the job for the first day, but God gave you your job. That money in your bank, God gave you that money. Everything that you have, without God, God, without God, Abraham would not have a son. Without God, none of us would have anything. So what does God want? A little something back. Does God need Isaac? Does God need your money? No, that doesn't need your money. What God wants is your heart. What God commands is for you to want to give him your money. What God wants is for you, what God commands is for you to want to give him of yourself. To have this attitude of everything that I have belongs to God. I'm going to give the best of that uh, that he's given me back to him. The cream of that crop back to him. The first of my flock back to him. Now God says, let's see what that looks like in the most ultimate way. Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love. And offer him back to me. I gave him to you. Offer him back to me. The offering was an offering. And the offering, sorry, the command rather, was a test. The offering, I should say, was a test. Well, I know we already said it. We already talked about the test, the word test, and how it was a test, not a temptation, and what the devil does and what God does. But now let's get the mindset of Abraham here. How, what's his perspective on this test that God gave him? Go over to the New Testament. Let's look at the rest of this account. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19. Because nowhere in the Genesis record does Moses stop to say, now here's what Abraham was thinking about. But maybe if you study the character of Abraham, as you can do throughout the Genesis record, you kind of get a picture of who this person is, and maybe you can start to put pieces together, but the Hebrews text just confirms it all. See, the thing about Abraham is, it's a character flaw that he has. He keeps trying to solve problems that he imagines God has. Oh, I've got to have this child, but my wife is barren. How's God going to figure this out? I guess me and Hagar will have Ishmael. Or I've got to go through Egypt, but God's got me and Sarah together, but Sarah is going to be taken from me. What am I going to do? I've got to solve this problem for God. I'll just say she's my sister, so they won't want to take her or kill me. God's, uh, Abraham is always trying to solve God's problem for him. That's his mindset. Now here, he's not going to try to solve the problem, but you can see that, that mindset of his come to play here where God says to him, take your son that I've already promised to you and kill him. And Abraham thinks, well, how are you going to figure that out, God? If after I kill him, how are you going to use him to create this big mighty nation you promised? How are you going to keep your promise if I kill him as you commanded me? How am I going to solve that problem? That's the mindset of Abraham. Now see and pay close attention to what he says what he thinks and what he doesn't say or think look at hebrews 11 starting in verse 17 by faith abraham when he was tried put to the test offered up isaac notice abraham offered isaac and he that received the promises abraham offered up his only begotten son phrased that way deliberately by the new testament writer of whom it was said that in Isaac your seed shall be called. Here's the one. This is this child of promise who will spawn a child of promise, who will spawn a nation of promise. They will produce the Messiah of promise. Here's the the starting point of that whole promises of God thing. Through him will come all these promises. Abraham, pay attention now, accounted that God, my Bible says, Abraham reckoned. Abraham figured. All Abraham could think was, well, I guess that God is able to raise him up even from the dead, from which also he received him in a figure. I'll come back to that in a second. What did Abraham think when God told him, take your son and offer him as a burnt offering on Mount Moriah? Here's what Abraham did not think, which I would have thought. At best, I would have thought, surely God will not make me go through with this. That's what I would have thought surely God will stop me from slitting my son's throat open chopping him up and burning him on an altar of wood Surely he will not let me do that And that's where the devil slithers in and he stops me from doing what I'm told to do Abraham was told to do something. So he got up and went to go do it He did not think surely God will stop but that's what God did God did stop him But Abraham didn't think that Abraham couldn't conceive that to Abraham God told him to do it, so he had to do it. Therefore, there was not a person or a being in the existence of the universe that was going to stop Abraham from killing his son. The only one who could have stopped Abraham was God. Only God himself could stop him. And so God himself stopped him. That's the only way it's going to happen. That's a man of faith. You tell me to kill my son. Okay, he's dead. Now what are you going to do, God? Because you promised that through this son will come all these great things. After I kill him, what are you going to do? We just blow right by the after I kill him part. Because if I'm the father holding the knife, I'm not getting past the after I kill him part. Am I alone there? Someone join me in weakness of faith. Because I'm not Abraham. He's over there saying, After I kill him, how are you going to figure it? I guess you'll just raise him from the dead. Raise him from the dead after you kill him, after you chop him up, after you burn him to ash. Yeah, of course, God can bring him back. He made Adam from dust. He can make Isaac from ash. But you still have to be the one to kill him. One week ago, almost to the minute, Joshua, our thirdborn, ran like children run, which is like this head down, arms back, so there's no possibility of protection. Forward like a bull, charged right into a door, a back door of the car that opened and hit him like a knife right there in his head, took a grape-sized hole out of his head. He's got five stitches right now. I think Josh McIntosh is going to cut him out this this afternoon. Took a grape-sized hole. You could see the boy's skull, I'm saying. Immediately blood is pouring out, and I was two arm lengths away. Had I been one, I could have lunged. I could have grabbed him. It was bang, bang. There was no time to reach, no time to lunge. It happened right in front of me. He hits the ground. Immediately blood is pouring down. And it was only adrenaline that got me to pick him up, throw him in my office, and slap a Kleenex on his head to stop the bleeding until we could get him to the ER to get the stitches put in. Adrenaline's pumping, we're getting him there, and I'm driving like an insane person, but we got him there, we got the stitches in, everything's fine, everything's fine, everything's fine. And it wasn't until we got back home that I could relax, that I went into my closet, and I cried for about 10 minutes, just as a release of all of that. Because when your father... And you see your child hurt like that. Blood pouring. The life blood of a person. Life is in the blood. Which is why I command a sacrifice. Leviticus chapter 1 and 2. When you see the blood of your only... Your, only, I have three of them. Your, your last born son. Sorry, Jackie Caleb. You see the blood of your son. It wouldn't matter if it all three of them. It wouldn't matter. It's the same idea I have in my heart. To see the blood pouring out of their face. You just immediately want to help. You want to help. You want to heal. You want to mend And Abraham has been commanded to be the one to cause the hurt. And he does it without hesitation, because that's what God said to do. And if God said to do it, I'll let him work out the details. That's faith that I don't have. I'd like to have it. I'll probably never have it. But that's the faith I need. That's the test. And he did it. Abraham offered Isaac. Oh, I forgot the end of the verse. Sorry, let me go back from whence he received him in a figure, the King James says. See, to Abraham, he'd killed Isaac in his heart. To Abraham, it was already done. It was already decided. He's dead, now what? So when he turned around and saw the ram, and he heard the voice of God through the angel tell him, you can take your son down now, and you can offer the ram instead. When he lifted Isaac off that altar, it was as if, that's the figure, the word is parable in the Greek language. In a manner of speaking, Isaac came back from the dead. In a way to look at it, you could say Isaac was dead. And when he pulled him off the altar, Isaac was alive again. Because Abraham offered Isaac. It was done in his heart. It was finished. He didn't have to do the deed physically to have done the deed in his heart. And if you know anything about God, he looks at the heart first. And then the actions. Abraham in his heart had obeyed God. And God said no. You're done. You're finished. You passed the test. I don't want a human sacrifice. You can offer a ram instead. And so he pulls his son off the altar, back alive again. But you might hear all of that. I'm almost done. And you might think, how could God even put a man through that? Despite the fact that Abraham does not seem like he's put through a lot. He has such a faith in God that he just goes and does. Any of us, I think we'd be put through it. How could God put through someone like that? How could God ask someone to offer their son, their only son, their only begotten son? Abraham offered Isaac. How could God do that? Well, Jehovah offered Jesus. And the only being in the entire existence of the universe that could have stopped God from offering Jesus was God himself. And God allowed it to happen. And just as Abraham offered Isaac has a command and an offering, so does does the offering of Jesus of a command and an offering. And the offering was in the heart of God, done and decided before the world even began. Before He ever made you, He knew you would sin against Him. He knew you would be unable to save yourself. He knew that the only one who could save you would be Him. And so He would come in the form of a man to die for you, to save you from the crime of killing Him for saving you and all the other sins you would commit. From the foundation of the world, Revelation 14, 13, Jesus was offered. In the mind of God, in the heart of God, God offered Jesus. And no one stopped him from going through with it. The knife of the spikes went into his hands and feet. And so he was offered on the altar of the cross. As for the command, that comes to you. You're given the command. Abraham offered Isaac and then God stopped him from finishing it. God offered Jesus, and God allowed it to finish. What gives God the right to tell Abraham to offer Isaac? He offered Jesus. Now Jesus, who is going to be offered, turns to you, and he gives you a command, and he says, if you want to follow me to bliss, take up your cross and follow me up my hill. Go up to your own Golgotha. And you allow yourself to be killed. But if all you care about is yourself, which is no minor thing, that's your life. Your child is you, but you are you. But if you're willing to deny yourself and take up your cross, then you can follow Him to life. But if you try to save your own skin, if you care more about you than you do God, then you will lose your life one day, one way or another. But if you're willing to give your life, then through Him you will save your life. Now you give your life In a parable sense. Just like the offering of Abraham, offering Isaac was in a parable way, a a death and a resurrection, you're taking your cross and following Jesus, you putting yourself to death, you being buried, and you rising from the dead is in a parable way, in a figurative way of starting over. Jesus actually did go to a wooden cross, actually was killed, actually was buried, and actually was resurrected from the dead three days later. But you are not commanded necessarily to be put to physical death for Jesus. What do you do then? You reenact the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Romans chapter 6. You reenact it through the waters of baptism. When you go down into the water, you do so with a penitent heart. You put your sins to death in repentance. And then you bury them in a watery grave and you rise. And in a sense, in a parable way, In a manner of speaking, you rise a brand new person. Listen, if you go into that water, a 17-year-old, you will come out of the water, a 17-year-old. But in a sense, you'll be brand new. You go in the water, a 71-year-old, you'll come out 71. You'll still be wrinkly. Your back will still hurt. But you'll be brand new to the God who sees the heart and sees who you really are. In a sense, you'll start over because your sins will be washed away. So if you are here this morning and you're not a Christian, now is the invitation for you. The command to you, take up your cross and follow him. You don't have to obey it. You'll suffer the consequences if you don't. But if you choose to obey his command, to deny yourself, take up your cross, follow him to your grave, your resurrection through the watery baptism grave, then life will be yours endlessly. If we can help you this morning, please let us know how right now as we stand and sing. And while I've got you on the phone, if you want to subscribe, you can do so by going to anchor.fm slash matthew-martin414. I've got uh, free audio files here and there that I'll release every now and then. But for the most part, I put everything behind a massive giant paywall where you have to pay upwards of, I think it's 99 cents a month. So if you can if you can manage that a dollar a month, <clears throat> that's, you know, it's not easy. But if you want to whip out a buck, then you get hundreds of audio files of all of my sermons and classes and devotionals. So it's uh, anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M slash Matthew, M-A-T-T-H-E-W dash Martin 414 and hit subscribe for a buck and you get all my hundreds and hundreds of audio files. All right. Thank you.